Welcome to the podcast. The Hunting Hipster Movie. Where we watch our favorite movie. The Hunting Hipster Movie. Show. Tell you why we like them. The Hunting Hipster Movie. Show. Everything we love in the cinema. It's the Aging Hipster Movie Show. Welcome to the Aging Hipster Movie Show. I am Bob Serrano. Today we dive headfirst into 2011's cult horror comedy classic, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. First up is Toby Cries. How are you doing, Toby? Let's just say that I've brought the finger sandwiches. <laughs> something. <laughs> Hopefully you get the right fingers sewed back onto you after this is done. And second up is uh, from Tape Freaks and Tim Monsters and a new podcast um, is Tim Holly. How are you doing, Tim? I'm doing well. I'm excited to have made you guys watch this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. No, I really enjoyed myself. Uh, so I'm really glad that you even uh, suggested this for sure. And then I guess really quickly, did you want to kind of talk about your new podcast? That I, At first, I didn't know if I was even going to uh, acknowledge its existence. And then, and then uh, second, I was going to do nothing but put you down the entire time. But now I'm going to take the moral high road. Oh, and, and uh, <laughs> congratulate you on your new competing movie podcast. It's not competing, it's complimentary. <laughs> but, anyways, so I got that off my chest. I had to do it. I'm sorry. I'm a little person, I'm like a little dog. I have little dog syndrome. So, anyways, did you want to talk about your new uh, podcast? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, Video Killers, it's called. Uh, it's uh, Colette, my partner, and I have been doing a, a blog for years. We do mystery screenings in the Twin Cities under the name Tape Freaks. So it's been kind of a long, long, ongoing idea that we were going to start to basically take Tape Freaks and t- change it into a, a podcast. Uh, and so that's what it is. It's it's Colette, myself, and our friend Greg, and we uh, are going deep into weirder genre cinema. So it's kind of nerdy trivia stuff, but then also just like recommending really obscure and deeper dives into really kind of bizarre corners of horror and action and all kinds of weird genre stuff. That's kind of the idea behind it. So, yeah. Well, speaking of bizarre and genre and horror, all that kind of stuff, our special guest today is Jed Bryan. He is an actor, director, writer who is best known for his 2014 film, unlisted owner. Was it 2014 or 2017? Uh, there's a story behind that. Um, so basically, we wrapped the film in 2013, and uh, it took us from 13 till like 16 to get a distribution deal, and then it finally came out for like worldwide release in 2017. So there's like all kinds of like weird information, but I I, I prefer to say 2017 because that's when everyone was finally able to see it. Okay, so 2017 film unlisted owner. So welcome to the uh, podcast, Jed. Hey, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, it was a great film for us to all check out. So um, it's one of my favorites. So I can't wait to t- hear everyone's opinions on it. And so did you, what are you up to lately? Well, uh, right now um, we're still doing, well, this year has been a terrible year for like horror cons and stuff, but uh, we're still doing conventions and uh, doing showings for unlisted owner. But uh, the latest thing that I've worked on is actually uh, there's a horror anthology. that's going to be coming out hopefully this Christmas, as long as, you know, uh, everybody gets their stuff filmed in time and everything in time for a release, but it's called 13 slays till Xmas. And it's a horror anthology. It's basically like 13 short horror Christmas stories. All. All right, we're back. Uh, Tim was actually struck by a divine bout of karma, which has taught him a little bit about being loyal to your friends. But no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, Tim, I'm giving you a hard time. Okay, so we're talking. Before um, we got disconnected, we were talking to Jed about what he has been doing lately. And you are doing this thing called 13 Slates, correct? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a horror anthology uh, by PJ Stark's production company, uh, Blood Moon Pictures. And uh, so basically there's filmmakers from all over the U.S. that are involved in this project. Uh, Drew Marvick, who did Pool Party Massacres, involved in it. Uh, John Hale did The Conduits, involved in it. Uh, St. Hirschberger, it was part of The Barn. So there's a lot of great, you know, filmmakers that are involved in this. And it's like basically we're all making like four, like 
the tw- I think they're under five minute uh, in length shorts and uh, basically putting a story together of like, it's basically based on like uh, scary ghost stories, you know, in the song and tales of the glory of Christmas is long, long ago. So it's kind of that concept of the scary ghost stories. So, and mine's about a, a killer Christmas clown named Kringles, but that's all I can really say right now. So <laughs> that's awesome. It's so it's going to be a feature, like it's an anthology yeah. feature. Yes. Yeah. It's oh, going to be a feature on the tour anthology. Yeah. It's supposed to be, hopefully it'll be out this Christmas. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll just have to see how the dice rolls. We just wrapped our, uh, our cut last week. So I'm very thankful for that. We actually got our filming wrap before COVID hit like February 28th. We wrapped. And then like a week after that, it's like, ah, we're shutting everything down. <laughs> so, yeah. so we were, we were lucky to, uh, to get it all done. But, uh, but yeah. And then I've, I was talking, uh, to, to you guys before we went on and, uh, Kyle Starks, who is the, uh, the comic book artist for Rick and Morty and writer. Well, he was, I think, I think the run of the comics is over right now, but he actually did a cartoon version of my killer clown and one of the sequences in the film. So I'm pretty excited for everyone to see that whenever we're able to, to have the posters out for everybody to check out. That's awesome. Speaking of, of posters, I see uh, one, this might be from last year's or whatever, but it says uh, not rated. Are we, are, can we assume this uh, killer clown is going to be G rated or? Uh, well, uh, I, I don't know if we'll, it'll probably be not rated. I don't, I don't know if they want to pay for the, uh, the uh, the rating or not those are a little expensive and people don't really care about them anymore i don't think <laughs> right <laughs> oh and then um so we so let's get into our movie that we we all watched this week together uh separately together uh this week we watched tucker and dale versus evil what? 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 this place is so creepy have you ever seen anything like that in your life just your average college girl. Why don't you go over there and talk to her? Talk to her. He goes, uh, going camping? <laughs> you see the way those guys looked? We are in here, oh. now, boys. Sweet like oh, this. Yeah. oh, my God. I cannot believe that I am standing in my own vacation home. Do you guys want to hear a scary story? Chuck, no, man. This story happened right in these very woods. It was 20 years ago today. Who wants to go skinny dipping? I do. <laughs> What's that all about? Tucker! Shush! Help! Ah! Damn it, Theo! What the hell is the matter with you? We got your friend! We got Allison! Oh. Hey! Where the hell are they going? Better come look at this. It's just a cabin. It doesn't mean they're psycho killers. Then why don't you go in there and talk to them? Maybe I will. I said maybe. I saw your friend out there. He must be allergic to bees or something because he was running like a bat out of hell. Run! Run your They killed him, man. They left his body here as a message. He's making her dig her own grave. It's not work for a pretty girl like you. I grew up on the farm. He's either help out or get out. It's us against them. <laughs> It's a goddamn suicide pack. These kids are coming out here and they're killing themselves all over the woods. Oh my god, that makes so much sense. All the Go to the police. It's a good idea. Everyone's doing some chores around the house when kids started killing themselves all over my property. Well, that's what happened, Tucker. Ah! Ah! He's gonna walk it off. I was even walking right out. What the hell is wrong with you kids? What is the matter with us? I've never stood so close to pure evil before. I got 10 to 12 beers. They're on ice right now, man. They're yours. Uh, guys? Maybe we should help him. You've gone hillbilly on me, Allison. You're crazy. Time to die, freak. Is that it? That's it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. That was a trailer for Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. So Tim and Jed, both of you had a hand in picking this week's movie. Um, and I like to hear uh, the reasons why. Let's start off with you, Tim. You're the one that no- kind of nominated it. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a sucker for uh, really good horror comedies. Like I think that it's one of those genres that a lot of times gets put down by a lot of horror fans. But like if it like there's the ones that work really work. And this is one of those ones I feel like is underrated. It's, it's just like, it's just a really, really well done 
film and it like it has really great characters like specifically tucker and dale like are just like just are amazing in this so i, I don't know and I, I just wanted i want more people to see this movie <laughs> And and so I'm interested when you said that like um, there's a subset of horror fans that put down horror comedies. Are those kind of like horror purists or like what's going on there? I don't know. I mean, the, the, it's like some. I think I think there's a lot of people in the horror community that they it's like strictly if it's not scary, it's just not a good movie. And like so they think that horror comedies. I don't know. I mean, like I've, I know a lot of people like that that they just they just refuse to watch them, and when they do watch them, they just hate them. Um, and I just, I've never really understood that, I guess myself. Cause I think that like the ones that work are like, like this Shaun of the dead, what we do in the shadows. I mean, there's like a lot of them that are just like so good and there's like, they're so funny, but they're also like, they play some of the scares well at the, in the moments when they, you know, it's, it's a, it's a difficult balance, but I feel like horror and comedy are very similar in like that. Like they're both like, they both are kind of built off a lot of the same things. Like you're building up to the punchline or you're building up to like the scare you know, so like I think that there's a lot. It's they're both difficult me- genres to do well, and I think that when if people if people blend those two together, they can do it really well. But yeah, I think that a lot of people just write them off. What's the, the where's the line between like a, a horror parody, like scary movie, and you know something like Shaun of the Dead or this? Uh, yeah, are they the same genre? Or are they different? I mean, I guess they're they're all lumped into as horror comedies, but like I think that horror parody is a different genre than like something like this or like Shaun of the dead where you have really great characters you're they're taking it serious but there's there's, there's some great jokes that land um whereas like the parodies is just they're just kind of trying to take the take the wind out of the horror or the tropes and things like that where this kind of making fun of people for liking this you know yeah, like yeah making fun of scream and all I'm that not as big well, a fan of those personally but not a uh, scary movie four you're not a big fan <laughs> <laughs> Hey Jed, so let's let's uh, kind of um, kick some of those thoughts to you. What do you think about the um, this whole kind of horror comedy, horror horror kind of boundaries? What do you feel about all of, all of that? I mean, there there are people out there in the you know horror community that are like you know hardliners, like you know basically nothing's better than the '80s slashers. You, you can't show me anything else. It's, you're not going to be better than these. And I think it's more nostalgia talking. And sometimes people just don't want to give you know movies a chance. Um, you know, like my film *Endless Owner* is a found footage film. So you know, half the people in the world don't like horror, and then you got half you know a lot of horror fans that hate found footage. So I mean, there's I mean, horror fans are great. Any horror fans are great, but I mean, there are some definitely some people out there that are very you know stuck in their own opinions of you know what they think is you know the cream of the crop and nothing else is ever going to touch it and what, so what attracts oh sorry what attracts because you made uh unlisted agent or unlisted uh owner which is a, a found found footage genre um or subgenre, i guess uh what attracted you to that genre in particular as opposed to some of the others well um i mean i love traditional film i'm a classic film guy and uh with where, where I'm located, it's just south southeastern Illinois. There's nothing around me, so to be able to get like a whole crew, especially starting out first film, it was just easier to try to make a found footage film and write it around the resources I had available. And I mean, my some of my best friends are in this movie with me, which is you know kind of crazy because after that we all ended up getting married and you know going our own way. So it was kind of a, a, a unique time period. But, you know, it, it was just one of those things like I want to try to make a feature length film. What do I have available to make it? Let's try found footage, see how that works out, get my feet wet. And then it ended up making like the Amazon top 10 for hot new horror releases. And uh, it just kind of been riding the wave from there. And so what what really brought you to the horror genre? Well, ever since I was a kid, I've always like. You know, especially growing up, you know, in the late age, early 90s, I mean, there was all kinds of horror themed, you know, cartoons and TV shows. Like one of my all time favorites is my mom had a VHS recording off of TV and it's all it said was Jesse and the Mummy. And I'm like, you know, what, what is this? You know, I, I, I can't find this. Like later on, I wanted to find a DVD version of it. it ended up being House 2, the second story. It's just, you know, you didn't have, you know, the, the TV guide on the TV. You know, <laughs> if you threw away the TV guide that week, you're like, well, I don't even know what was playing. 
So, I mean, you know, I, I feel like I grew up with it at a great time period. You know, you had the Universal Monster stamps and, I mean, you had uh, Tales from the Crypt Keeper. Like, there was so much great stuff. Plus, my parents would always take us, like, to haunted houses and stuff. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was just a great time to be a kid and, you know, just kind of be in love with horror. But then when I saw Eli Ross Hostel, that kind of changed everything and like, wow, this is like real life horror. This is like something that really kind of scares me because this is something that this isn't a, a Jason or a Freddy or make believe monster. This is like, this could really happen to you. You could really get kidnapped in another country and you don't have anyone you can talk to. And you know, this is before you had Facebook on your phone and stuff, obviously and everything. But you know, back then it was like, you know, you're screwed. So that kind of like really got me thinking about like real life horror and taking some of my fears, like unlisted owners based on peer pressure from friends and, you know, making you do things that you don't really want to do, but you're kind of, you know, I don't really don't want to look like I'm, you know, a wimp to these guys. So I just, you know, kind of opened a brand new door and made me want to try to make my own movies. So you think with horror, it, is it successful with people because it's so much more personal? Because I'm not like specifically a horror fan uh, whatsoever because I think sometimes like I'm not really into being scared because I'm scared a lot. Like when I look at my consumer debt and stuff, I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> that's kind of like, I mean, maybe that's just me. I'm, I've been afraid of a lot of things in my life. And so sometimes the horror movie is almost like almost too much. And it's mm-hmm. not like I don't like violence because I love like I could watch like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Commando just like <laughs> just mow down like Latin American gangsters for like like two hours and not even bat an eye. But some some of these it's just like I don't know like it just it's almost like too gory. What do you think, Tim? Is it is is kind of the success about horror is just the personalness per like the personableness? Whatever I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> I mean I think that's part of it. Yeah, I mean. The, the, horror is such a huge and wide genre that there's a lot of subgenres in there. And I think that like you personally, I bet that if you were pointed to the, in the right direction, you'd probably find a lot more horror films than you probably realize are out there that you would really like, like this one. May, I guess mm-hmm. I don't know if you, if you actually like Tucker and Dale, but I would assume that. Yes, I did. Okay. Yes. I liked it very yeah. much. Yeah. So I, I think that there is a, probably a lot of horror films that aren't even just horror comedies, but there's probably a horror films that you probably would really appreciate and really like. But like, I think that you like, you maybe in your your head think that there's like they're a very specific thing and there's so many there's so many horror films out that like the more you kind of dip your toe into it and you the more you kind of you watch them i think you get sort of personally i think i you just kind of get addicted to it you start digging deeper because it's such a deep well of so much content that like it's that yeah there's and there's a lot of really good stuff out there that is just it's, you just got to find what your personal tastes are, and then you you could run with it. I don't want to accidentally run across Saw though, <laughs> and stuff like that, or Rob Zombie movies. <laughs> but that, that's interesting. So what? So so you've dipped your toe, Tim, so to say. What is the craziest um, murderer that you've run across <laughs> in, in movies? Oh, geez, uh, I don't I I don't know if I could point to one specifically like what was the, the most intense or what do you like what what oh. just whatever like intense the most like like uh out of left field because you because with because uh, you've watched a lot of obscure horror movies right yeah i mean like the most ridiculous i love i love we- really weird bonkers stuff but i'm trying to think man you're putting me on the spot here oh, i'm sorry <laughs> okay you think you think about that jed so you started making your own movie yeah uh-huh. So what? So was it just one of those times that you just kind of woke up and you're just like, I'm just going to do this, or what? What kind of what happened there? Well, I saw Eli Ross Hostel, and um, I just happened to be driving down the road, and I came up with an idea for uh, actually me and some friends were on our back on our way back from a basketball game, and uh, we were driving past this old house, and they were like, Hey, let's go in there, and I'm like, Are you kidding me? You can see metal reflecting on that car and that you know garage there's probably you know these meth heads in there and i'm like killer meth heads so i wrote i I wrote a script called meth house and we shot it was the first thing ever shot i shot a teaser trailer for it because we didn't have the funding to make the movie it's on youtube right now if you type in lawford county meth house and uh then we then it just kind of escalated from there and so you raised all the money yourself right 
Yeah, for for unlisted owner, um, like I said, it's found footage, so you know it was very you know low budget and stuff, and a, a lot of um, all my locations were free, so I mean it really worked hand in hand. But also, I was single, living at home, which you know helps out a lot, as everybody knows. Yeah. He was married and has a house of their own, and <laughs> and all that stuff. So you you shot it right in 2013. What are the next kind of steps to actually get it onto say when you got it onto Amazon? Well, it, it's a lot different now, which is kind of weird saying this, but uh, when we wrapped in 13, like the internet, the internet at the time wasn't full of a lot of information. The only thing that I could find on the internet was you've got to get into a film festival, get your movie accepted, get people looking at it, get people talking about it, and then distributors will come to you. So we spent all of um, the 13 to 14 hitting up every film festival we could and we didn't get into a single one. And you talk about someone who was very disheartened, putting you know, putting all this time and effort in this thing. And uh, and then you get people coming up to you all the time. Hey, when's your movie coming out? I'd really like to see your movie. I'm like, well, I'd really like for you to see it too, but I'm not just going to burn off DVDs and sell them out of the back of my pickup truck. So, um, but I ended up finding about finding out about the American film market in Santa Monica, California. So I saved up money and went out there, and uh, they basically take this big hotel. And they take all the beds, all the furniture out of it and turn them into offices. And I basically had a hotel room I shared with another production company. And they basically give you like a client list or sorry, a list of distributors. And you have to go through and you have to email all these people. I mean, you're talking, I mean, Lionsgate's there. Jerry Brockheimer Films is there. I mean, you know, all these, you know, big, huge you know, distribution companies and you basically set up meetings and you got to talk to them. So we showed the film twice in LA and then uh, we ended up getting like three different offers after that and uh, signed a deal in, with Summerhill Films in 2016. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> we had kind of a weird thing with that because uh, mine being found footage, I filmed it all on my handheld camera. So I didn't have a guy with a boom mic running around. We didn't do, you know, fully. It was whatever the camera picked up is what went into the movie. And one of the requirements in the distribution agreement was we had to have a separate M&E track, which is basically all the sound effects separate from the actual movie. And I'm like, well, we don't have that. So I had to recreate every sound effect for the entire 74 minute film. And since it's found footage, there's no musical score. So you have to do every footstep, every door slam, every, yeah. Yeah. And I hated it. That's like the one thing in filmmaking that I'd rather just hire someone to do for me. Did you hire someone like the guy from police Academy? Like, did all the, <laughs> like maybe you should. No, no, we, we did it all uh, in house. And like, and the worst part was, is like we had scenes where people were walking up, you know, wooden steps to go up on a, like uh, the back porch of a house and like you record it and then you're like, okay, I think it sounds good. Cause we didn't have proper recording equipment. I was just recording it on the same camera and uh, just separating the audio and the editor. And we got it. I, you know, we filmed that night and then I brought it back in the next day, put it in the editor and I'm like, there's someone's air conditioner running. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> it was, Yeah, it was, it was, it was terrible, but yeah, it was an adventure. I learned a lot and, uh, it's uh, the next one, next feature I do, making it will be the hard part and distribution will be the easier part compared to the other way around like it was the first time. <laughs> oh, well, let's get back to uh, Tucker and Dale. Toby, have you ever seen this movie before? I had never seen it and hadn't heard of it um, and loved it. Like, I, And I, I'm kind of like you, Bob, where I'm not a... Uh, I, I actually, I saw... I used to, when I was a kid, I loved like Freddy movies Um but uh, I like am scared to death of these movies and I don't want anything to do with them these days. Um, uh, after I, I saw the last one I saw was saw and I was like, so pissed off at the end of that, not pissed, like in like pissed off, probably in the way the director wanted me to be pissed off. The guy walked away at the end. I was just like so angry and so scared. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm done with this genre. And that's kind of where it ended. Um, but I loved this one. Um, yeah, I kept on seeing it on Netflix, and I was I, kept, I thought about it because I I love the actor Alan Tudyk Tudyk. Yep, yep. Tudyk. Okay, uh, because I loved Firefly. He's in all these different movies. Uh, he was in Ralph uh, 
Wreckham Ralph, like yeah. Jed was bringing brought up as well. So he's all over the place. And I'm a big fan. I kept on seeing. I was like, should I do it? But I'm really glad that you did it because I really enjoyed it as well. Tim, did you want to talk about what we watched this week? Sure. Well, the horror comedy Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which is now ten years old, it came out in 2010. Uh, it's it's directed by Eli Craig. This is his, actually his first film that he did. Uh, and it's written by Eli Craig and Morgan Jurgensen. Hopefully I got that right. But yeah, starring Tyler Labine, Alan Tudyk, and Katina Bowden. Uh, looks like it's weekend, opening weekend was $52,000. It's USA gross was 223,000. Uh, but a cumulative worldwide brought in just over 5 million, which is pretty solid for a little little indie horror comedy. Uh, looks like the, the, in 2010, the, the big releases were number one was toy story three. Number two was Alice in Wonderland. Number three was Harry Potter and the deathly hallows part one, uh, followed by inception Shrek forever after twilight, twilight saga eclipse, Iron Man two tangled despicable me and how to train your dragon. It looks like Tucker and Dale came in 216th. In the box office, yeah. which is pretty so some stiff competition, yeah. And also for a movie like this that they didn't really know how to market, uh, I would imagine that you know it didn't really stand a chance in the box office. It's really going to live or die by its a uh, its uh, online streaming and uh, home video. I think that's where where it's going to find its audience. That's generally the the case for most horror comedies. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because you you come from more of the you know the theatrical releases and stuff like that so how do you approach it do you do you get these sent to you because you also you back in the day when we used to have theaters <laughs> you would schedule uh like showings and stuff right yep yep um i would go to screen I, I mean there's trade screenings that i would go to uh and then I'd, otherwise i get screener links this would th- this type of like indie film usually it's screeners as they sent us send us and i try and watch as many of them as i can because i usually like it's like these smaller films are the ones that I really I feel passionate about trying to make sure that people see it, and so that was part part of my role in doing film bookings at the, the Alamo was that uh, I would really try to find these smaller gems and really try to embrace them and try to like make sure that I hyped them up to people and make sure that like they t- we try to do well with them because I want the films that I want those films to do well and those filmmakers to do well, but I also want these films to find an audience faster. Um, which is, is is a hard thing nowadays. There's so many films coming out that a lot of times people need that kind of curation and need you to be kind of pointed in that direction to so that, so that they know about these films uh, because otherwise they just get lost in the shuffle. And then it's it, it's it's really these movies live and die by word of mouth. It's really how it how it works. Like it's it's and sometimes that word of mouth takes a number of years. It, it's, and unfortunately, can you think of any diamond in the rough that you rescued and actually saw it to be a little successful? Uh, what, I mean, just in this last year, a few of the ones that I felt really passionate about was uh, this one uh, this one called uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid. Uh, it's a it's a new indie Spanish language horror film uh, by a kind of up-and-coming director. It's heartbreaking. Um, it's a really beautiful kind of fairy tale horror film. Uh, it's told in the, the streets of Mexico, a bunch, a bunch of young kids that are living on the streets in a kind of a crime ridden city. Uh, it's, it's incredible, but it's really dark. It's, it's reminded me of like early Guillermo del Toro films. Um, but yeah, tigers are not afraid was one, one cut of the dead. It's a new ja- uh, indie Japanese film. That's sort of about a making of a zombie film. That's just, it's just amazing. It's a really smart and brilliant little film. Uh, and then there's another new Irish one called uh, extraordinary. That's a, it's a horror comedy about a, uh, um, a lady who's a she's a, a student driver teacher and she can see ghosts and she tries to help uh, with an exorcism and then you, you have a, a Will Forte is there and he's a, a washed up musician who's trying to open the gates of hell uh, it's a really funny brilliant little film so those are a few of them just the end of last year that we I was really trying to get in front of an audience and they did pretty well for us I mean thankfully and then the rest of the um, screens were Ant versus uh, Ant Man versus Wasp. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's really cool that you could do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know. Um, and it looks like Tucker and Dale at 216th. They, 
they had a couple other uh, interesting uh, nearby neighbors in the top uh, box office for 2010. 2000, uh, 214 was Exit Through the Gift Shop, which is the Banksy mm-hmm. movie, which I thought was pretty interesting. I love Banksy. And yeah. I thought that was a pretty fascinating documentary. Troll Hunter. Did you ever see that? Do you remember Troll No. Oh, it's good. Is that, yeah. Is that the... Is that the um the Scandinavian movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's found footage. Um, it's like yeah, people out their trolls exist and they're out hunting them, and it's a pretty clever little little film. They did a great job. They, it was s- supposed to have been remade by um, Neil Marshall at one point. It was almost into production, and uh, it kind of fell through. But yeah, there, there was they were t- trying to do an American remake of Troll Hunter for quite a while. Okay, uh, so Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, uh, made by Eli Craig, mm-hmm. who I believe I read was uh, extra in Carrie 3 or something. <laughs> he was an actor or something like that. Yeah, he has some acting background for sure. And Morgan Jurgensen, they haven't really done a, a, a whole lot no. right before. What did what, you find out about the production? Well, I mean, it sounds like they had, they had the idea and they wrote the script and they pitched it around for a while. It took them a little while to sell it. And then once they once they got it like they got it uh, into like the budget and the into production, uh, the biggest win for them I guess was getting the the cinematographer. It was David Geddes, Geddes, uh, who is like he he's done like a bunch of assistant camera work. Uh, he did the stuff on like John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, he worked on like the '80s BMX movie Rad. I mean, he's got a really strange filmography, filmography but he'd been around for a long time. Uh, and really, his one of his biggest credits is he was a cameraman on the original 21 jump street for years so he's he was a tv uh, cinematographer so he knew production sets and it sounds like the director wanted somebody as a cinematographer that they could lean on that had experience that they could help them kind of guide the production to a certain extent uh and so that's like the really the, the main tidbit that i was able to find uh i mean obviously they they really scored by getting alan tudyk and tyler labine and those two instantly had chemistry. They they hung out and kind of worked on their characters together, and it shows. I mean, like the the, the movie lives lives or dies by those two characters, and I think that their chemistry and just their personality is so great, and that's what really holds the movie to in my sense. I mean, like it it, it works in, in like the, in theory, and the, the script is really smart, but it really like it's Tucker and Dale that like are are the 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 standing things that like really make it a, an excellent movie more than just a good movie. Well, everyone seemed to uh, agree with you, Tim, because on Rotten Tomatoes, Tucker and Dale both got around 85% and 84% fresh meter. So there's a in general, everyone's a big fan of it. Uh, I was as well. Jed, how about you? Tell us about how you, uh, this movie and what you thought and all that kind of stuff. Well, uh, when I first saw the trailer, I was just like, uh, which I think it was a different one than the one you guys had played. But it kind of led it up to like, you're like, what is this thing? Kind of like they show them like the scene where they pass by him in the truck and they're just kind of like staring at him. You're I'm like, <laughs> what the heck? Kind of, you know, this is like, you know, like a trope movie, but they looked really creepy at that. And they're like, you know, they, we got your friend and stuff. And then he's like, oh, I got pancakes. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you sold me a pancakes. And then I'm like, where can I see this thing? And it's like, it's on Netflix. And I didn't have Netflix at the time. And this was like, I think 2011. And I'm like, huh, I'm getting Netflix. So I got Netflix just because of Tucker and Dale versus evil. And I've been like a huge fan of it. Like, I just love the whole, you know, the whole aspect of taking like the tropes and all the, you know, you got wrong turn in there. You got Texas chainsaw mask. I mean, you have all these, you know, like all the great, you know, redneck deliverance you know slasher you know style you know horror weird movies combined and it's like all those tropes from all those movies you've seen over the years basically caused a misunderstanding that resulted in this like amazingly shot and like directed train wreck of a of a comedy i mean i just you know i love i mean the scene where he's like you know, your friend must have been allergic to bees or something. So I think that's the that's the only justifiable kind of like mistake that they made. I think the college kids because if yeah. if if someone's running at me with a chainsaw, I might just run away too. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> 
I love that 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 sh- that scene when uh, Dale walks over to him at the gas station with this the, like the sigh, whatever he needs to say. He's just laughing, smiling. I did I did the on the on the the disc. There's a bunch of deleted scenes and a bunch of uh, there's a they have a cut of the the film like it's like it's like a 13 minute cut where it's they cut out all the Tucker and Dale stuff. So like it just makes it look like they're they're the villains of the, the film. Uh, so you're mm-hmm. seeing it from the college kids' perspective, uh, but there, oh, but there's a funny uh, bunch of in the outtakes when he's eating all those pickled eggs. He keeps like he's he eats so many of them that he's got so much vinegar in his throat. He just keeps choking and he can't get the lines out. So he's like pickled his throat really bad. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh. that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, it was th- neat how they. Oh, sorry, oh. when they uh, at the beginning how they rolled out the characters because it wasn't clear you know who was evil and who you know it, it they set it up like a stand like your old standard horror film and they really did a good job like when they cruised by on the the, the pickup yeah, yeah. You, you re- <laughs> it really felt like the, the deliverance guys you know or even when they walk in the gas station and he's sitting there with a the clerk and he kind of turns around and his eyes are sort of like right. somewhat crooked and he's just like yeah. it's like it's like isn't that weird side eye? it's so they, their performances are so good it, it's such a well-written movie. I mean, you know, who would have thought to have them say, I can't believe I'm sitting in my own vacation home. Like, that's just <laughs> the most random thing in the world to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd say if, if people like this and they haven't seen Little Evil, Eli Craig's other film that he did for Netflix, that uh, has uh, Adam Scott in it from Parks and Rec and a bunch of stuff. Oh. Uh, it's Adam Scott is... Uh, He's like gets engaged to a woman who has a little kid and the little kid is like just straight up evil. But like it's like him yeah. dealing with that. But it's totally playing on all the little kid, evil little kid horror tropes. And it's really funny. And it's like it's yeah, it's pretty brilliant. And so this has been on Netflix since 2011. Is that what you said, Jed? It's been on there for a long time. I'm not I, I think it was like around 2011, 2012 when I first got Netflix. I know I was still living at home then and I. I'm not sure if Unlisted Owner if I had wrapped shooting on it or not. It may have been 13. It's been on there for a while, though. And so, Tim, do you know, like, do they, does Netflix just make one purchase? Do they just buy it one time? No. I or mean, do they have to license it for every year? They, they, I mean, every film has a different contract. And, and yeah. so, I mean, like, it's like, sometimes it's like part of a package. Sometimes it's some sort of like, it's some sort of a multi year deal that they signed with that distributor. I'm imagining that Netflix has some sort of deal with Magnet Films, who is like, it's like a subsidiary of, of Magnolia. That's the one who released Tucker and Dale. So I'm guessing they must have had some sort of multi year deal with them. But I don't know. Where, where'd you see it, Tim? Uh, I think I first saw it on Netflix too, actually. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure. I'd seen the trailer and I went looking around for it and it was on, I think it was on Netflix is where we first watched it. I wasn't it. in America, that's for sure. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't see it in the theater. I didn't, I didn't, don't think I even heard about it until it was already out of theaters. Um, yeah, it was, wasn't, and I think that it was part of it is that they, they, like, I think you were saying that you saw a different trailer. I think they were having a hard time figuring out how to market it, which is it is very common with horror comedies. Like, they don't know if they want to sell it as the horror film and then have the comedy thing kind of come in secondary, or if they want to sell it as a comedy. And then it's like I, I think that it, a lot of films that are horror comedies they really have a a difficult time with the marketing. They don't they can't, like marketing teams just can't wrap their heads around how to sell it. When did Sha- <clears throat> When did Shaun of the Dead come out? Do you remember? That was early two thousands. I'm pretty sure. Was it? Yeah. Um, it must have been like 2004 ish. Yeah, yeah. I I actually got to see that like about a year and a half before it came out. They did a a little tour of the U.S. Uh, um, with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and uh, um, Edgar Wright were touring around with a film print, and they were playing it in different theaters to get audience reactions. And I got somehow I had never even heard of it. I'd never heard of um, any of those guys really before. I wasn't even a fan of or knew about Spaced at that point. And they did a screening in Minneapolis that I got I went to, and at the screening they were doing a Q and A and all that. But they, uh, the projectionist, uh, put the reels out of order. So like halfway through the film, it just jumped two reels, and they had to stop it. And it took them like forty five minutes to to re- redo it. And then they like basically just stood up there and just talked to the audience the whole time to try and keep everybody there. And it was after that I was like I was like whenever this movie comes out, people have to see it. These guys are fucking hilarious, and it's a yeah. brilliant movie. And then all of a sudden, it just never. It like took forever to come out. I think that they had a. They struggled with the distribution of that one too. Like they couldn't. They couldn't get the proper distribution for it for a long time, which is weird because I mean that movie is so so brilliant. And then Toby, what 
what'd you think? Uh, so like I, I was struck by um, how uh, to me, this film's like curiously complex for the genre that it's in. Like I've, I've been trying to explain it. I was explaining it to a friend today and it, it took like many, like a paragraph or two to kind of explain <laughs> yeah. the plot, which like you'd take a Freddie movie, you know, it's three words, you know, guy comes in your dreams and kills you in your dreams. Like there's not much more to it. Um, and I'm sure there are other more complex ones, but um, I had an audio clip from the film. Uh, it's about a minute long and it's Tucker and Dale talking that I felt like does a better job than the trailer of explaining the plot. So I'll just play it quick. Tucker! Tucker! Holy mother of God! You never be- what happened to you? Are you okay? What happened to me? Some kid. You just hucked himself right into the wood chipper. What? Head first right into the wood chipper. From his shoes and his pants, it looked like it might have been one of the college kids. What the hell happened to her? Well, uh, she got knocked down, fell into the shitter hole right next to me. Is that your blood? Well, no. No, it's college kid blood. One of those suckers came running out of nowhere and speared himself straight through the gut and died right on top of me, Todd. Holy crap. Oh, no. Calm down. Calm down. Don't cry. Calm down. <laughs> Get a hold of yourself. Oh. <sighs> All right. I know what this is. What? This is a suicide pact. What? These kids are coming out here and they're killing themselves all over the woods. Oh, my God. That makes so much sense. We have got to hide all of the sharp objects. You know what else, Tucker? (laughs) Tucker, I think they're trying to kill her, too. Yeah. Think about it. That's why they acted so funny after we saved her, because they want her dead. Why? I don't know. I don't know. It's good that you don't know. It's good that I don't know because if we knew, then they would want to kill us too. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so what? What do we? What do we? Um, we go to the police. So, so that that seems just great. <laughs> uh, and so we kind of talked about it before, like so tropes, right? Um, and Tim, can you just kind of describe what what you think a trope means? For, I mean, I guess the uh, the definition of trope. I guess I, don't, I, mean, I can't really. Yeah, the top just, of my head. just in case for um for our listener who may not be as cultured as us. Oh, I see. I mean, it, it's it's it's. <laughs> I mean, I guess I don't know the exact definition, but it's. I mean, it's basically um a thing. It's like it's a a story structure or a character structure or something that, that is is revisited again and again in films um that you see over and over again like like the backwoods redneck killers that you just see in like in a lot of the, that type of horror film or like i was saying before like the little the the creepy little kid killer kid movies like that the little kid being creepy and uh, being a killer like the omen or whatever is a that's a trope i mean it's, so there's a like the, the, and, it, and it's in every genre every genre has their own tropes i just feel like that horror they a lot of horror films embrace the tropes a lot and there's also because there's so many of them and depending on the genre that you're talking about do you think that's true jed does horror depend more on tropes than other uh movie genres i feel like uh like i don't necessarily i wouldn't necessarily say depend i would say that people put them in there because they like them or they want to do a nod back to something that they like, uh, you know, or, you know, something that's inspired them. Like, I feel like horror is more like, you know, showing respect back to things that inspired the the filmmaker or the writer. Even they, they put that in there as like a little nod back to, you know, whatever film that they're, you know, writing or directing. So I necessarily wouldn't say it was like, you know, like they just, you know, want to copy everything. I think a lot of times the filmmaker just wants to, you know, show respect and, you know, kind of give a little nod back to something that inspired him or something that they thought was cool in a movie. Yeah, I would. Well, I would never say that horror depends on tropes more than any other genre. Because I mean, like you look at romantic comedies, and it's like there, there's a lot of <laughs> tropes in romantic comedies that it's in every single one of those movies. You know, that, so I wouldn't say that. Like, yeah, I think every genre has their tropes that they they embrace or, and, and not. That's true, and I'm sorry for kind of putting it that way. I'm not trying to put down <laughs> horror films at all, uh, but it definitely seems like as they kind of went through this this movie and their production and writing and everything every trope that they kind of r- r- ran across, they spun it into a comical way. And I think that's what I really liked, like from each time, like the meeting at the gas station, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of, yeah. you know, so probably when you're talking about, it, it's like horror, like any sort of, I guess, 
any sort of art or something has like kind of an un has these this kind of secret language, whether it's tropes or like you know even music as, as well or whatnot, mm-hmm. where it sort of kind of runs across each time and then it just kind of spins it a little bit differently compared to if it was a really sincere horror movie. And so I think that's really kind of what amused me, right? Because I mean, know, that is some of the funny stuff. Uh, you, you see, like the wood chipper, <laughs> you just know <laughs> somebody's going to fall into it. Right. <laughs> Chainsaw. I mean, that, and, yeah, that, that's the brilliance of this movie is that they, they know exactly what all the tropes are and they put them in there, but then they do a really great job of like flipping every single one of them in really smart and like thoughtful ways. Like they clearly put a lot of time and work into this script and it shows. And so, Jed, what is your process when you sit down and write a horror story? So, like, uh, for Unlisted Owner and most of my scripts is I get, like, uh, for the most part, uh, I guess anything besides Meth House, most of them I I come up with, like, a scene in my head of something that would be, like, really neat. Like, an Unlisted Owner, there's a scene where someone gets pulled up through an attic space. And I'm like, that'd be, you know, be a pretty cool scene in a horror movie. Okay, how do we get here? And what happens after. And then I just kind of like write the story around it for the most part, at least for like horror film wise. I mean, that's kind of how I do it. And so, you know, as I was kind of looking into this, like what qualifies as a horror movie? Because it seems like it's such a broad and then very specific at the same time. Because I was seeing like movies like Jaws, like kind of thrown in as a horror movie, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. which is, is actually probably true because it's very scary. <laughs> like, I, I, it took me years to go into the ocean, you know. <laughs> Jed, well, what do you think? Like, well, I mean, for me, like, I mean, horror is, I mean, you can paint it with a white paintbrush. I mean, there's like, I mean, it's just like, you know, I would compare it to like rock and roll music. I mean, you have like all these, you know, you have the main title and then you have like all these different little sub things that kind of go off of it. And I have a prime example of something that happened a couple of weeks ago. So my dad called me, my dad, not a horror movie guy at all, does not like horror. He's like, you know, likes Westerns, likes, you know, war movies, you know, stuff like that or action films. And he called me, he goes, man, you got to see this. There's a world war two movie that you got to see. He goes, it was, it was very gory, but I just, I couldn't look away. I had to keep watching and see what happened. I'm like, well, what's it called? And he goes, it's Overlord. And I'm like, <laughs> well, that is, you know, like at first I thought he was talking about like a different movie called Overlord. Cause he goes, you know, it's Overlord, you know, it's the, you know, the, the invasion operation Overlord. I'm like, okay, well there's a horror movie called Overlord. But I, certainly he's not talking about that. Certainly he could identify and Nope, that was the one. I showed him the trailer. I'm like, is this what you were talking about? And he goes, yeah. I'm like, this is a horror movie, you know? I'm just waiting for him to tell me that he watched Bone Tomahawk or something. (laughs) He loves Kurt Russell. (laughs) So there's all these movies that are... Or that are camouflaged for just poor people like me and your dad mm-hmm. you just want to watch like a good uh solid war movie about d-day and all of a sudden like i i, I sort of like uh, overlord like what is it really quickly it's uh it's basically like the uh the nazis have like some type of like underground like facility type thing and they basically the the allies kind of like there's a couple characters that kind of stumble upon it. And, you know, it's, it, it, that's kind of like the basis with that. And then I don't know if you're familiar with bone Tomahawk or not. <laughs> yeah. <but. laughs> that, that, that's one I know got a lot of people like, cause it's just a pretty much a straightforward yeah. Western until the, that last like 15 minutes or whatever. And people, yeah. It like, like it really oh disturbs some people. There's nothing like this in Tombstone. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh no! I mean, Kurt Russell's. I mean, it's, Bone Tomahawk has a crazy good cast. I mean, Kurt Russell's in it. Uh, God, what I can't think of the guy. He's in Step Brothers. He's in a lot of yeah. John C. Riley. No, no, the dad. Um, the dad, the bald oh, head. Um, um, what is his name? can't think of him anyways he's in it david arquette has like Jake. a little cameo appearance in it and then so does sid Haig. and uh, there's some other i can't remember there's some other bigger oh uh some, the guy was it Jen- oh, what's jenkins his? what's his, uh richard jenkins yeah yeah he's in it and he's almost rec- unrecognizable he's uh, got this does he play bone tomahawk is that no, a character he's, he's the deputy oh. the two and uh, kurt russell's the sheriff and it's kind of like a it's like kind of like the searchers where like they're like somebody gets taken from the town at night and then they go through they have to go this long journey to go find them and when they find them and they find who took them 
that's when the horror element comes. Yeah. <laughs> a bunch of people were very surprised. Uh, it, yeah. It's there's a pretty brutal, gory scene in the near, yeah. near the end that. Oh no. Is, uh, pretty. Uh, Patrick Wilson's also in it yeah. too. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, I mean, it, brilliant. Well, I'm glad that we're taking this time to smoke all these movies out. So <laughs> run across them. <laughs> So uh, like, oh, my <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um okay so there's a bunch of different ones there's like what's it different so a slasher is that kind of the classic kind of horror genre i mean you have like what's a slasher gothic horror yeah. is kind of i mean like you know you got like old universal and the haunted house kind of gothic stuff is a little bit more i would say classic but like the slasher came about you know in the I mean, it, it kind of came out of like the the mis- the crime mystery novels, like the pulp novels, like uh, like Agatha Christie and stuff like that. Like that's kind of what evolved into what became the slasher because you have all the Italian giallos and things like that. That in the seventies, that sort of in in the Mario Bava kind of stuff in Italy that inspired a lot of the American eighties slashers. Then you also had Psycho too, yeah. which like pretty yeah. well like set the bar. <laughs> what do you think? As someone that's done like a horror movie, what's the hardest part about it when you're trying to create like a story? I think? would say to make sure that you're like, for me, like I want to make sure I do something like original that people may or may, I mean, that people haven't seen before and come up with like a concept that people are like, kind of like, wow, like my film, like Unlisted Owner is a found footage slasher film. So it's more like, and it's also a drama slash horror. It's more drama in the beginning and then you get into the horror part of it because you're basically following these people throughout their day. And I want to make it like, seem like it's as real as possible. So like, you know, most found footage films are like alien abduction, paranormal investigation, or looking for Bigfoot. You know, those are like the Mm -hmm. three, you know, top. And I had never seen a like slasher style found footage horror film. So that's kind of like I apply that to Unlisted Owner. Uh, Toby, did you have anything else about uh, Tucker and Dale before we get into some trivia? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I just wanted to call out uh, Alan Tudyk. Um, uh, <laughs> I was just looking through his uh, like you know, the stuff he's done. And this is, I'm going to just name some stuff that I love that he's done. But his list is like so long and I couldn't believe it. He's like one of these guys that's in everything. And like, um, uh, I was really surprised by that. Um, So this is just a list of the stuff that uh, Tim, welcome back. I was just saying, uh, I'm just singing Alan Tudyk some praises here. This this is the list of things that I love that he's done. Um, Ice Age, Rogue One, uh, 310 to Yuma, Conception, Wreck-It Ralph, Frozen, Zootopia, Moana, uh, Arrested Development, Phineas and Ferb, Napoleon Dynamite, and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, and like when I realized he was the voice of uh, our, our K2SO in uh, Rogue One, I was like, unbelievable. And so I have like just one of the many funny clips from there. This is nine seconds long. But... You're letting her keep it. Would you like to know the probability of her using it against you? It's high. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had a number of lines like that in that movie that were just yeah. funny, you know. Like he's great in Rogue One. Yeah, he's a gr- amazing voiceover actor. Yeah, he uh, he voices uh, King Candy and Wreck It Ralph, and that's an exact take on one of my favorite uh, actors, like vaudevillian actors of Ed Wynn. If you guys mm-hmm. ever heard of Ed Wynn, but he's. He was the voice of the Mad Hatter in the original Alice in Wonderland. And if you go back and watch his his stuff, like he used to have his own TV show and uh, he had three stooges on at one time. And it's just like some of the funniest stuff you'll ever see. He was also in uh, Mary, the original Mary Poppins, right? He's like, the, yeah. 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 yeah I'm, I'm close to Vincent's, Indiana, which is the home of Red Skelton. And how Red Skelton got his start in show business was Ed Wynn was performing at the uh, Pantheon Theater and uh, Red was selling newspapers and Ed went bought all of his newspapers so he would be able to see the show and he went and saw the show and then he was like um, hooked on show business and uh, him and Ed were friends for Ed came on his show and everything so same thing for you so that's interesting what hooked you with uh, show business Jed well um, I, I guess like I don't know when I was a kid 
and well, even, you know, all the way up to even now, like I always love being able to meet like, you know, people who I'm a fan of and like kind of talk to them, interact with them and stuff. And like, you know, getting autographs is something that, you know, I'm an autograph collector. I love, you know, getting, you know, autographs. I don't know why, you know, it's just a piece of paper with someone's name on it. But to me, it's like, I don't know when I look at it, it's almost like a photograph because it's like a memory of, you know, whenever that happened. So it's always been kind of like, it, it was always like a goal of mine to like, you know, to be able to have, you know, people to be able to come up to me and like talk to me about something that, you know, I enjoy doing. So that was just, I don't know, just something like that always kind of like stuck with me. And, uh, and then I've always loved movies. So then it just kind of went hand in hand together. All right. So Jed, we yes. always do a trivia contest at the end. Uh-huh. Are you ready? Are you ready? Six questions about, Horror movies in general. Okay. All right. Question one, you guys. The first horror film ever made. Uh, name the date, name, and runtime. Yeah. It was something Castle, I think, from like 1896 or something. It was like a real short one. It was like a silent film. I'm pretty sure, something like that. Any other guess? I guess uh, you can try to guess at any of them. Nope. It was. I mean, I I know that there was there was a lot of shorts in the late eighteen hundreds, but I don't know of any specific name. Jed actually was on the right track. It was eighteen ninety six. The name was is a French film called House of the Devil, okay. and it ran for three minutes. Yeah, it was really short. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, you can find actually find it on. Yeah, it has some uh, like special effects in it, like where there's like smoke. And the guy disappears with smoke and stuff. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's like one of those things where they had the they would stop shooting and then put something there, and it's like, oh, <clears throat> here's a cauldron, and here's here's a, some smoke, and all that kind of stuff is is kind of interesting. It was kind of it's kind of weird. It um um so yes, so you got that right. Look, Jed is in the lead. Okay, question two: the first horror film to win Best Picture. The first horror film to win Best Picture. Is The Exorcist? Any other guess? Toby? I was going to say Jaws. I don't know if Jaws even won. Jaws didn't win Best I Picture, I don't think. But... Oh, yeah, I guess I don't know if the, I don't Exorcist, know the Exorcist did, even win. I think they might have won it. <laughs> Maybe. See, no, I, they won I, Best Makeup or something. I'm, I'm, trying, <laughs> I'm trying to think because, like, that genre, like you know, horror is like a big genre, like painted with a wide brush. So um, maybe the Silence of the Lambs win Best Picture. Oh, uh, yeah, it did. Yeah, it? That was it. yeah. yeah. It, the first and only horror movie to ever win Best Picture was Silence of the well, Lambs. Get Out one, didn't it? Oh, yeah, it, it ran one something for the screenplay. I think didn't. It? Oh, I think it was something. I guess. Parasite just won, and that's. Oh, I mean, I would, yeah, would you consider that? Thing. I still haven't seen that. It's on Hulu, it, though. It's great. It's really good. Oh well, you know, like the the internet's never wrong. So like, it, like so something's <laughs> yeah. not. Well, yeah. and then Shape of Water. I mean, I guess it really wouldn't be horror. I mean, by the thirty standards, it would be because it's like Creature of the Black Lagoon. But okay, so in mm-hmm. this one is just like uh, just a romance. Uh, subject right so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um okay next one is let's see what year was the first found footage movie made uh it would have been well Hannibal cannibal holocaust in 87 probably yeah what no it, it's cannibal holocaust is is that 1980 earlier than that yeah 19, okay yeah yeah that is wrong there's one out there from 1961, a film called The Connection from American experimental filmmaker Shirley Clark. Uh, so it is a film, a result of found footage assembled by cameraman J.J. Burden working for the acclaimed documentary filmmaker Jim Dunn, who disappeared. Basically goes into the world of jazz and heroin addicts and hmm. it came out in 1961. 1961. Wow. Cool. Wow. Okay. 2010's The Last Exorcism, right? Ex- Exorcism? I might have written that wrong. Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Had an inventive uh, marketing plan. What did they do? They made a viral video, I think, didn't they? Close. So they, 
they lured people on like a chat like chat roulette or something it's you guys you should you find these so it's this like really pretty woman who's like talking to these guys and she's starting to kind of look like she's going to unbutton her her blouse and then she puts her head down and then her head comes up and her eyes roll back into her head and then she just like comes out and screams and then at the end it says like the yeah, <laughs> So it's it's pretty worth it to go find those uh, clips of people just like kind of not you know of course people are, yeah the reaction totally go, go on chat roulette tonight and see if you can find it. It's totally worth it yeah don't what worry about it yeah. around that time period there was a film in theaters that was another exorcism one that literally didn't have an ending but it just had like a website url that you had to go to after you went left the theater to find out what happened and it was like oh, wow. people were livid like it was like <laughs> like the dumbest like thing that they had ever they could ever think of doing but <laughs> it was around that time period i was like i don't think it was that movie but i was like that was what i what i was thinking of <laughs> can you imagine seeing that on home video and like getting to the end yeah <laughs> I have to get on my computer now. Like seriously, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so dumb. I bought the movie. Gosh. Uh, okay, what was number five? Number five, the top horror movie at the box office. Top horror movie. It's and it's got to be what it, it chapter one from two thousand seventeen, right? That is correct. It Chapter 1 did $701 million at the box office. And according to Box Office Mojo, the much maligned Box Office Mojo that gives us (laughs) dubious facts, um, (laughs) the rest of the stuff that they have in here, uh, number two is 2007 I Am Legend. Do you think that Hmm. qualifies? Yeah. Yeah. It's a a wide brush. brush. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number three is uh, Jaws. Number four, It Chapter Two, which came in at four hundred sixty-nine, still made some money. Seventy. Uh, number five is five is The Exorcist. Number six is The Nun, which I never, I'm not really familiar with. I know you got probably have. But. It's what it's part of the Conjuring universe. It's one of the Conjuring spinoffs. Okay. I'll have to take your... I don't even know what that means. <laughs> um, seven is Hannibal. Number eight is A Quiet Place. Number nine is The Conjuring. Oh, yeah, here it is. And number 10 is The Conjuring 2. <laughs> have you not... You've never heard of The Conjuring films? No. You know, so it came no. out in 2013. And that is when my daughter was born. And so there's like mm-hmm. a big... I blacked out for... Like two, yeah, two to four years in terms of anything that happened that wasn't like I don't know, like Nick Jr. and Disney Jr. I could give you like a <laughs> verbatim of rundown of children's TV, but what actually happened out in the real world, I have no idea. I'm sure. Yeah, the, <laughs> the Conjuring films were huge hits, yeah. and they've spun off the Annabelle series off of it, and the Nun, and the Curse of La Llorona, and all these other spin-off films from that in the conjuring universe. So it's like Harry Potter is like conjuring like a magician or not really. No, it's it's the what's the the it's based off of an actual like couple of huckster uh, that's like a a married couple that went around and were like supposedly be able to would, take possessed things and make them not possessed anymore and they keep them in their house. house. Yeah, they would prey on People, you know, religious people that would pay them exorbitant amounts of money, and they're real people in the real. But that's what the the Conjuring is based off of them. They're they're the notorious ones that that um, supposedly went to the Amityville house is one of the, their big things. Do we like them or no? Or like, <laughs> I, like I just want to know if I'm upset at them. They're interesting people in the uh, the zeitgeist and just popular culture, but as real people, I you know I don't think that they're they were very good people. I think that they uh, <laughs> they preyed on people that were you know ill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question. One of the two surviving movie posters for 1931's Dracula was sold in 2017. What was the price? I put the picture in there. Well. Uh... I know the one previous before that was uh, London After Midnight and Lon Chaney lost silent film. It went for $480,000. 
So if it broke that record, it was probably like, oh, it had to be over 500000 Dang it, Jed. It was $525,000. It's a lucky that I'm not awarding a prize because I know they're going to <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. The, the London After Midnight poster, like when I saw that, it's like, it's crazy because it's a lost film and no one's ever saw it. And, or, well, that's alive today, anyways, probably has never seen it. And, you know, $480,000 for a lost film poster, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, there's stills exist from it that are yeah. like super iconic to this day, and like people have never. I mean, it, it, it's one of those films. If it ever popped up, it would people lose their shit. Oh yeah, it was. It's the most sought after lost film. Yeah. Oh, maybe you can write a found film about that. <laughs> finding, finding it and releasing the spirit of Lon Chaney. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Jed, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a blast. So thank you, Tim, for introducing us to this movie. And thank you, Toby, for being here as always. And thank you, Jed, for coming on for a special guest appearance. You're more than welcome to come back, hopefully, when you have a new movie out. For sure. Yeah. Be more than happy to. Or even before. Yeah. I, I, or, or the always, door is open. Yeah. I'm, I'm always down to talk movies. And thank you for listening to the Aging Hipster Movie Show. This show was written by Bob Serrano, Toby Crines, and Tim Holly, produced and edited by Bob Serrano. The theme song was written by Kid Mental. Please check us out online, our Facebook group. Uh, join our Facebook group or go to Instagram, the Aging Hipster Network. And once again, thank you and have a great night. Boom.